a glass of pure, clean drinking water. It's one of nature's best gifts. It's refreshing, it's satisfying, and it's necessary for our survival. You know, there's something interesting about human beings. It's that we often take pure and simple gifts and we think we can add to them. We think we can enhance them by adding something of our own making to them. But what we often discover, of course, is that the very thing we thought would enhance the pure and simple gift makes it worthless. According to the Bible, according to our scripture today, our faith is like a pure and clean glass of water. It is pure and it is undefiled, as it says in James chapter 1. But we are tempted to add things to our faith. We're tempted to add things to the gospel. We're tempted to have Christianity plus something else. And what we discover is that when we do that, when we think we're going to enhance our faith, we actually make it worthless. That's the word that James uses. It becomes worthless. This has been going on since the beginning of the Christian faith. The first century Christians, for example, were tempted to add Gnosticism. Christianity plus Gnosticism or secret knowledge. During the time of the Crusades, a famous example is Christianity plus imperial conquest. And the blending of those two things harmed the witness of Christianity for many years. When I was growing up in my denomination, the debate, the raging debate was about the power of positive thinking. Christianity plus the power of positive thinking. Now that might seem innocent enough, but we discovered that when you blend something as shallow as the power of positive thinking with something so deep as the gospel, it actually makes both of them worthless. In our time right now, in our national situation, what I'm seeing is that many of us are tempted to add one of the two prevailing political narratives to the Christian faith, Christianity plus the political persuasion of your choice. And what we're seeing is that when we do that, it actually makes our faith, it makes our religion worthless. It ruins it. And so in today's scripture, we're going to look at some ways to identify if we have blended anything, we've added anything that we thought might enhance the simplicity and pureness and goodness of the gospel in our lives, but actually have led it to ruin. We're going to look at some ways to identify that, and we're going to pray together and seek God together through his word in ways to extract those additives from our faith so that we might have pure and undefiled religion, as is defined in James chapter 1. So let's pick up the story. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. James is giving instruction to Christians on how to live out the Christian faith, how to live out the Christian life. And he gets into this business of how faith, how the gospel can get impure and defiled. We start with verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is the first check or identifier if we have blended anything in with the gospel in our lives. I mentioned the two prevailing narratives of our culture right now, and one thing that I'm noticing is true in both of them 
is that they make people angry. They make me angry sometimes. I can drive around town or go through my life just feeling a general underlying sense of anger about those people out there who don't view things the way I do. Is that true of anybody watching this? Do you ever just feel a general sense of anger about things going on in our society? If that's true, listen to this phrase again. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, that's the lie in the temptation. We think we're supposed to be angry when things are going wrong in our culture. I saw a bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen it. It said, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And I'm tempted to even fall into that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many things going on. I'm supposed to be angry. But listen again. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. No, if we're just generally angry about people who disagree with us out there, that didn't come from the gospel. That's not a fruit of the gospel. That's not the righteousness of God. No, in fact, that's more likely just self-righteousness. You think you're draping yourself in the righteousness of God, but you're just grumpy. You're just mad. And that is not a fruit of the gospel. So that's one identifier to know if we've blended something, if we've added something to the pure and simple gospel, if we're just angry all the time. He goes on from there in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Ah, this is another identifier, some ways that we might be blending something in with our Christian faith. It's a reminder where he says, put away that filth. and In other words, extract some of that blend out of the gospel in your heart and receive once again with meekness the implanted word. Now we're switching our metaphor here. We began with the, the metaphor of a pure, clean glass of water, but now James has us picture a seed. He calls it the implanted word. The implanted word. He's really wanting us to see a seed being implanted into the soil. Of our souls. This is a common motif in the New Testament. The gospel itself is described like a seed, like a deposit that gets put in the soil. Jesus himself in John chapter 12, verse 24, he says, unless a grain of wheat is put into the ground and buried, it will not produce much fruit. He said that right before he died and was buried and rose again. He's talking, of course, about himself. He's talking about what would happen to him. He's describing the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ died in our place on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, that he took the penalty of our sins and he conquered death, rising victorious so that he could usher us into eternity with the Father forever. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the seed that can get planted in any of our hearts. And when it does, when it gets implanted in our souls, the pure, simple truth of the gospel without anything added, it will bear much fruit. And he says, the implanted word is able to save your souls. There's another check in there. The thing that we have been tempted to add to the gospel, that whatever it is in your life that you've been tempted to add on to Christianity, Christianity plus whatever, is that whatever, is that thing we've added on able to save our souls? Think about it. That thing we've added to Christianity that we think is so important, is it able to save our souls? 
answer, of course, is no. One thing is able to save our souls, and that is the simple, pure, capital T truth of the gospel, that Jesus died in our place, he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and he will come again to take us to the Father. That is what saves our souls. Okay, so those are some ways to identify whether we've added anything to the gospel in our lives. Does it just make us angry all the time and we think that's somehow a good thing? Is it able to save our souls? And when we realize maybe what some of those things are, we might say, okay, how do we get back then? How do we get back to just the pure, simple gospel in my life? Is the instruction just to kind of go sit alone in a room and pray that God would extract those things from my heart and mind? Or is there another way? And James begins to show us now the actual best way to get back to the pure, simple gospel. It might come as a surprise. He says this in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. This is a good reminder. Do you want to get back to the pure, simple faith? Do you want to get back to the gospel? Actually go out there and do what it says to do in the word. Have you ever noticed when you do show up at one of these places that we as a church show up and help? Have you ever noticed how blessed you are when you do that? I've discovered that. When I go to the, the soup kitchen line, I go to the Pacific house. When I go to Pivot Ministries and encounter those men encountering Christ. Some of you go to the, the pet house and help build out this house to receive and rescue trafficked women and girls. Or a number of other places that we just show up and serve the, the drives that we do here at church. What I discover when I show up in those places, when I'm a doer of the word, what I discover is that I feel just as blessed as I thought the people would be blessed by me being there. Not only that, every time I do it, every time I show up, mission trip or whatever it is, I discover that in that place, God is there. God is there every time without fail. I discover that in the mission, in the doing of the word, God is there. Be doers of the word. And then from here, James introduces a concept. He introduces a, a metaphor that I find very clever and interesting. Let's read about it in verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See this metaphor that James now introduces? It's like looking into a mirror. When we keep our faith just to ourselves, we're tempted to add our own ideas to it, to blend it in. And it's like looking at ourselves in a mirror. Now, if you think about looking at yourself in the mirror, that's really a, 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 just a simple self-absorbed activity. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't do anything for the world around us. We look at ourselves, we have this encounter with ourselves in the mirror. That's kind of like keeping the gospel, keeping your faith just to yourself and blending in with the ideas going on in your own head. You haven't done anything for the world. It's just all about you. But he says, don't just look into the mirror. You're going to forget that experience anyway. It's worthless. It doesn't do anything for the world or yourself. Instead of looking into the mirror, instead of looking at yourself, 
gaze into what he calls the perfect law, the perfect law of God and persevere in that. In other words, look into the law and actually persevere in doing it. What is the law of God? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God and to love our neighbors. That's the perfect law, the law of liberty, actually. We think of it as a constricting thing. We think of laws as things that constrict us, but he says this is the law of liberty. When you do it, when you follow this law, when you gaze into it, instead of just focusing on yourself, you will discover the pure, simple goodness of the gospel. You will discover God there by loving him and by serving his people. That is a way to get back to the pure, simple beauty of the gospel. And then he gets a little bit more specific in verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It's like a glass of water blended with something unhealthy. It's worthless. You might as well not have it at all. You need a new one. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, why would James be so specific in how to get back to the pure, simple, refreshing gospel? Why orphans and widows? Seems very specific. Well, if you think about it from a spiritual sense, the orphan and the widow, because of sin, are pictures of all of us. We were born, we were created to be in the household of God, but because of our rebellious hearts, because of our sinful hearts, like the prodigal son, we run out the back door of our household where God our Father reigns, and we run off and try to do things on our own. We become orphaned by sin, by our own rebellious hearts. But God, in sending Jesus to the cross and sending his firstborn son to the cross, he gives us the opportunity to be adopted then back into the household of God. Jesus Christ is the firstborn son of God, so Jesus Christ deserves all the inheritance of the firstborn son. But Jesus, in taking our place on the cross and dying the death we deserve, he switches places with us so that we would receive the inheritance of God the Father. We're no longer orphans, but we are adopted sons and daughters into the household of God. And the widow is a similar image. A widow in the ancient world is a, a woman whose husband died. Now, we today think about women who can go get means of their own. They can get their own career going and they can support themselves. But in the ancient world, that was very rare. So a woman who was a widow was cut off from her provider. Well, sin has done something similar to us. Sin tells us that we can do things on our own. We can provide for ourselves. And we cut ourselves often from our divine husband, from our provider. But again, because of the cross, because of what he's done for us, God says, I am giving you, I am your provider. I'm giving you everything you need, abundant life now and eternal life forever because your sins have been atoned for on the cross. Receive me back as your provider. Enter back into the covenantal relationship with your divine husband. 
That's what Jesus offer, That's what God offers us on the cross. So in a spiritual sense, we are orphans who have been adopted back into the family of God, and we are widows who've been reconnected in covenantal love with our provider. When we realize that, that truth of the gospel, that simple, pure, clean truth of the gospel, when we each realize that, we then look out at the world around us and we say, you know, there's, there's actual real orphans out there and widows, and I want to do for them what God has done for me. It's an outflow. It's a grateful response to the gospel. That's why it's pure and undefiled. We've not added any of our own ideas to it. We're simply expressing gratefully what God has done for us. And he concludes with that phrase, not only that, not only serve the orphan and the widow, but keep yourself unstained by the world. Keep yourself unstained by the world. In other words, look for ways to protect your soul, to protect your faith from those additives that we are tempted to put in there. Sometimes additives come just from the, the, the nature of a fallen and broken world around us, a world of sin. Sometimes it comes externally like that. Sometimes it comes internally, temptations that we have to add something, to add our own narratives, to add our own interests and try to blend that with the simple gospel. Sometimes it comes from the enemy of our souls. But God says in this chapter of James, keep yourself unstained by the world. And so I think the best way to do that is not only step into mission, care for the orphans and widows, be doers of the word, but also to ask God, to ask the Holy Spirit to protect us, to keep us pure. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm just going to conclude with a prayer for all of us, that God would help us identify maybe any ways, any additives that we've blended in with our faith, and then to keep us unstained by those things moving forward. So let's quiet our hearts and ask this of God. God, we are so tempted to add to this pure and simple gift that you've given us, the gift of the gospel. I pray that you would reveal in any of us right now anything that we've tried to add to our faith. We thought we would enhance it, but we've actually made it worthless. We confess these things to you right now. And I ask that as you call us into mission, you call us into being doers of the word, to care for the orphan, the widow, the poor, the oppressed. I pray that you would meet us there and that we would taste once again the pure, simple gift that you've given us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would protect our souls from those factors out there in the world that would come in and try to poison our faith. I pray that you'd protect us from the enemy of our souls who wants to do the same. And I pray, Lord, that you would also protect us from our own selves, the temptations of our hearts, to add the passions of our hearts to the simple gospel. Come, Holy Spirit. Call us back to the simple, pure gospel of Jesus Christ for which we are grateful. In Jesus' name.
Amen.